Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into true crime cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of true crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And Megan, let's shake our gree Oh my gosh. Here we go. I got the raccoon bones. And I have the uh, kangaroo sack with our crystals. And yeah, that's our zen at this point. It is. Like the gree has reached such a level. I'm not a superstitious person. And by I'm not, I mean I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And now the and tense now, has changed. Yep. And I am, I think, when it comes to this podcast. I think so. And I... <clears throat> It's just not right until we shake it. Right. So <laughs> that means, well, that works in a lot of aspects sure of life. Does. It's weird how things come for, it, full circle like that. It really does. So um, it's almost Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I should bring you something Christmassy. Are you ready for me to tell you a story? Considering gonna, this is a true crime podcast, I'm a little terrified. You're not. <laughs> you're not. You're going to hate everything about this. Okay. You're going to hate it. Um, and I'm going to tell you now, and to all of you listeners who are used to me trying to make some suspense because I do that often and like to come in with a twisty sometimes, mm-hmm. you're not going to get that today because I'm just going to give it to you right up front and then we're going to kind of work backwards a little bit. Okay. I so do that with cases sometimes too. You do and it works well. And I have heard this case told um, from the beginning, uh, giving some background on who our murderer will be. Um, and then working into what happened, but I'm not going to do that because I just don't think it does the story justice. And I want to focus on uh, as much as I can, just why, why did this happen? It shouldn't have. So I'm going to call this Santa slay. Uh, Yep. S L A Y slay. Um, but more importantly, I'm going to call this the Pardo Ortega Ortiz murders. Most people probably know this as the Covina massacre. I don't. From California. Okay. Um, yep. But I'm going to call this the Pardo Ortega Ortiz murders because we go victim centric here mm-hmm. as much as we can. Mm-hmm. You and I have said before multiple times, sometimes jokingly, sometimes on our brain baths, um, that holidays bring out often the very worst in humanity, right? Do. People get depressed and angry, sad, anxious, suicidal, and homicidal. And we've had some recent tragic suicides that have been in the news, right? Yes. And um, more homicides in, in the news than ever across the U.S. And, and internationally as well. So here's your public service announcement. If you are feeling like you may harm yourself or others because something bad has happened to you, because you feel like you have been wronged, please reach out for mental health services. Mm-hmm. You can even do a voluntary commitment to get some help. And I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that sometimes the thought of a voluntary hospital commitment when you're losing your shit, just, it's, it's a vacation. Consider this a vacation, y'all. If you cannot do this yourself, please reach out to someone else and tell them you feel like you are going to hurt yourself or someone else. And people, if you think someone is suicidal or homicidal, or they reach out to you with those feelings, call and get them help. Mm-hmm. You can offer to take them to the hospital, or if there's a safety, immediate safety issue, call for law enforcement, a first responder, or you can go file what's called an involuntary hospitalization petition for mental health treatment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm putting all of this out there because, again, the holiday season is hard on people. Mm-hmm. Charnel, Santa. If, if, what do, when I say Santa, what does this evoke pictures of? 
in your uh, mind? A big fat man with a big beard that likes cookies and bringing joy to children. Absolutely. Santa is supposed to be a jolly old fat man, either mm-hmm. rooted deeply in tradition or even if you are not of the religious persuasion, pop culture Santa, yeah. right? A happy humanitarian bringing toys to children all over the world. Spreading joy. Spreading joy. So imagine back then to being an eight-year-old girl mm-hmm. and you see Santa, right? The thoughts that go through your head, you're instantly happy. He just brings you cheer. I see Santa through my thick blonde bangs. That's right. I was eight. Right. Mm-hmm. I think they were probably crooked. I didn't have bangs. I think my mother had chosen at this point in time, love you, mom, to give me some type of a perm, even though I had curly hair and it was short. So I resembled one of your dogs. A Chia Pet. Yes. Chia Pet Megan. Chia Pet. I bet those would sell. Oh, they would. (laughs) They they would sell. So eight-year-old girl, excited to see Santa, but unfortunately he doesn't come down the chimney. He comes up the front walk. I'm sorry. I'm just picturing Richard Simmons right now. You gave me such a perm picture with short hair. I am way hotter than Richard Simmons ever has hoped love to be. Richard Simmons. <laughs> Richard, I oh, love you, but um, boy. Yeah. <laughs> no. Right. Anyway, carry the on. The Chia Megan is going to get farm. Would, how wouldn't you be so happy to open up a gift and have a Chia Megan? Yes. You'd yes, be so I happy. Just and know also, that I kill all plants though, so no offense. Yeah, but it's I the don't. clay underneath that counts. And I feel like our friend Jason needs a Chia Megan and a Chia Charnel. And if there's a way for us to make one of those. Yeah, does anybody have hookups with Chia? You should contact Chia. Just be like, hey. Crime yeah. curious Chia pets. <laughs> I don't know what just happened now. I'm going back to topic. Mm-hmm. So this little girl then unfortunately, you know, Santa's not coming down the chimney, he's coming up the walk. So I'm going to take you to Christmas Eve, 2008. Santa Claus arrived at a residence on Knollcrest Drive in Covina, California at around 11.30 p.m. ready to deliver gifts. Mm. He was dressed in his Santa suit of red and white, carrying a very large present. There is a party at the house Santa is arriving at. Christmas music is playing. Adults are playing cards and talking and children are playing in the home. Mm-mm. Someone yells, Santa's here. And then a beautiful little eight-year-old girl, Katrina Yusufpelski, opens the door and runs to greet Santa to hug him. Before she can get her little arms around him, Santa pulls two handguns from his Santa suit and trigger alert. With one of them, he shoots her in the face. Oh, my God. This home belonged to Alicia Ortega and her husband, Joseph, who was referred to affectionately as Papa Joe Ortega. They had all of their adult children, grandchildren, and even extended family members from Mexico to their home for a Christmas party. And a little bit about Alicia and Joseph. So they became citizens here uh, in California in the U.S., but they originally met in a small town in Mexico were sweethearts, met as teenagers, and literally lived the American dream where they got their citizenship here. They started a business. I believe it was a like a powder coating oh, okay. business uh, and were able to provide for and raise uh, beautiful children and grandchildren. And everybody loved them. This was this couple has been together since they were young. And I believe that Papa Joe's 80 at this point, And Mama is like, uh, Alicia's like in her early 70s. Okay. 
So they, um, typical, honestly, American family Mm -hmm. having a true Christmas holiday party. Adults were playing some Texas Hold'em in the, in the front. If you can picture it, right? I can absolutely picture it. Yep. And, and Michigan would probably be Euchre. Yep. And the kids are, most of them, all of them sent to the back of the house. They're playing video games. Yeah. Right. That's what kids do. Definitely. Well, eight-year-old Katrina had come to the front of the house and excitedly opened the door to a man dressed as Santa Claus. But underneath that Santa suit were black street clothes, five nine-millimeter handguns. Oh, my God. And $17,000 in cash plastic wrapped to his body. And also in one shoe was a printout for a ticket on a Northwest Airlines flight to Moline, Illinois. Santa Claus, who Katrina went to hug, was her uncle Bruce Pardo. Oh my God, he knew this family. He was holding uh, this large gift. He did. And Katrina fell to the floor, of course, after being shot in the face. And this whole thing is a trigger alert, what I'm going to give you next. Bruce Pardo begins his rampage at this point. Hiding in the gifts were a homemade flamethrower on a trolley and two of the five 9mm semi-automatic handguns. What the fuck? Bruce had been recently divorced from Sylvia Ortega Pardo in a marriage that had lasted just over a year. And Alicia and Papa Joe were Bruce's recent, as in within the week, ex-mother and father-in-law. Oh my god. The divorce had been settled the week prior, and Bruce was found to owe his ex-wife, Sylvia Ortega Pardo, $10,000 in the settlement, and she also was going to get to keep the dog in the engagement ring. And we're going to give, I'm going to give you more info on this later. It is speculated that this is what caused his rage, as he argued to the courts that Sylvia had been living with her parents, not paying rent. She partied in Vegas. She had a luxury car, and he didn't deserve believe that she deserved the money, the ring, or anything. After shooting his niece, Bruce began firing, and bullets from the nine millimeter, the one nine millimeter that he was holding, showered the room. James Ortega and his brother Charles were shot next. So these are two of uh, Papa Joe and uh, Alicia's kids. Okay. So James and Charles, they're shot next. Charles is the first one to shout, it's Bruce. This is Bruce because he's in a Santa suit. Yeah. As he was attacked, he screamed for the family to run. Papa Joe and Alicia, so this is the grandparents, Mm -hmm. and their daughters, Letitia, Alicia, and Sylvia, who is the ex ex, of Pardo, and then their daughter-in-law, Teresa, who was married to either James or Charles. I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. They attempt to hide under the kitchen table, under the Mm -hmm. table. And despite having been shot, by the way, both James and Charles, the two boys, the sons, they tried fighting the guns away from Bruce. Irma Chapa Ortega, who is a cousin to the adult Ortega children, she had been visiting from Torreon, Mexico, and said that James and Charles struggled to get up even after they were wounded. And she's quoted as stating to the media, even bloodied, they got up, they stood up. They tried to grab him to stop him, but they couldn't. Other witnesses in the home reported he stood over his victims, executing them at close range, Mm. and that they very much doubted that these poor kids would ever want Santa to come back. Uh, Yeah. Bruce shot those that were hiding under the dining room table, execution style. All of them? Using, yeah, using one uh, of, or I'm sorry, using two of the handguns that he had in his possession. Oh my God. 
many of the adults, other adults in the home, there's 20 to 30 people in this home. Of course, they're having a big family Christmas party. They figure out what's happening and are able to run to the part of the house where the children were, Mm -hmm. grabbed them and escaped through the back of the house. Okay. Thank God. But if things couldn't get worse, Bruce had planned his attack so viciously on this family As people are laying dead and wounded and others are scrambling to get children out of the home, he unwraps the package that he was carrying and pulls out a homemade flamethrower. It contained, so it's described as like a flamethrower on a trolley, which explosive experts later stated that they had never seen the like of. So what he had done is he had used his uh, engineering background, which we will get to, to modify an air compressor okay. into a flamethrower. That's why he needed the trolley. It he was. just carry correct. it. Correct. Yep. Exactly. So at this point, he uses this homemade flamethrower to spray racing fuel gas. Mm-hmm. And we're familiar with that here because we mm-hmm. live close to an international speedway. Yep. And you can buy racing gas at our gas stations. Yep. And the home is engulfed in flames. Sure. At this Within point. seconds. Within sure. seconds. Mm-hmm. With the number of people in the house and the wall of flames coming from the house, there were multiple 911 calls coming in to report the massacre that had just taken place. The only one of the adult Ortega children to survive was Letitia, who had been under the table with her sisters and mom and dad, mm-hmm. who died under the table. Mm-hmm. Letitia was also the mother of the eight-year-old girl Katrina who I will at least leave you not leave you in suspense although she was shot in the shot in the face she was alive wow she's the one that called 911 and she told the dispatcher I heard the shots everyone started panicking and running we all dove under the dining room table she is screaming on the 911 tape my daughter is shot in the face it is Bruce Pardo he is shooting everyone Bruce Charnell I don't think he anticipated what would occur with the flamethrower. I think, I, although I, he obviously knew what he was going to do with it, right? Using it as a weapon, right? Did it I, backfire and get him? Well, too? I don't think he anticipated what would happen with racing fuel gas in a flamethrower with burning fireplaces mm-hmm. in the home. Okay. So the fire caused by the flamethrower caused an explosion with flames soaring up to approximately 40 to 50 feet and took 80 firefighters an hour and a half to extinguish. 80? Holy shit. The majority of the children, with the exception of Katrina and 17-year-old Michael Ortiz, were able to escape unharmed. So only two 17 and unders are harmed. Now, the investigators believe that this is likely due to the fact that the children were all in the back of the home, away from the initial gunfire, and their quick-moving parents or relatives, the ones that were able to pull them out of the fire, or out of the house before the fire erupted. Right. So there's three people who were wounded but able to survive the attack and make a full recovery. Eight-year-old Katrina, who the bullet struck along the side of her jaw, uh, she was injured but survived. There was also a 16-year-old girl who was shot in the back while running away from the wall of bullets who survived. And then there was a 20-year-old who had been upstairs when the attack began, and she broke her ankle jumping out of a second-story window. Okay. Mr. Pardo here had torched the house with the help of 18 gallons of this racing fuel. Oh, my God. 
It took, as I stated, those um, 80 firefighters two hours to put it out. The relatives who he gunned down, and here's another trigger alert, were burnt beyond all recognition. Sure. There had been so many people in the home that, you know, they have to do some legal identification here at this Mm -hmm. point. And so it was so bad and the fire burned so hot that they actually were only even able to identify each one specifically with dental and medical Mm -hmm. records. Nine people in total would die, including Alicia and Joe Ortega, their two sons, James and Charles, two of their daughters, Alicia and Sylvia, the Mm ex-wife, Alicia's son, Michael, the Mm -hmm. 17-year-old who was upstairs playing on a computer during the attack and is believed to have been killed in the explosion. And both daughter-in-laws, um, mm. James and Charles' wives, mm-hmm. Sherry and Teresa. So there are several children that lost both of their parents. Yeah, I'm going to get to that. Um, but I believe maybe 19. Isn't that the number? I'll correct myself if I'm wrong later. Uh, children were orphaned on that date. Mm, my God. So our murdering Santa is Bruce Pardo. Well, Bruce was also injured during the attack um, when the house exploded. And again, it is speculated. There is evidence that would show that Bruce didn't intend to be injured in this attack. Sure. He suffered from second and third degree burns on his arms. The burns were so bad. This is the part where, you know, there's some karma somewhere Mm -hmm. that pieces of the polyester Santa suit melted into his skin. Good. He's ripping the suit off while there's pieces remaining in Mm -hmm. his uh, skin, uh, putting on street clothes or at least attempting. He had street clothes on underneath, but I think trying to hide what's Mm -hmm. happened here Mm -hmm. and drives his rental car to his brother's house in Silmar which is about 30 to 40 miles away from the Ortega home. So he's just burnt with third degree burns. He's driving. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not going to leave you in suspense here either because once he gets to the home, which is his brother's home, he commits suicide by putting a gun in his mouth. Oh. His brother was not home at the time of Bruce's death. Mm. So Bruce originally had a getaway plan. As we indicated before, there was an airline ticket. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So... They found that there was an airline ticket from Los Angeles to Illinois with a layover in Minnesota. And Bruce had called an old high school friend a few days before and said that he was planning to visit. But investigators were unsure if he actually planned to visit or if the flight was to throw off investigators. Sure. Because Bruce Pardo was suffering from burns and was unable to rip off parts of the Santa suit, it is believed then that he decided not to go through with his plan. Police found the $17,000 in cash cling wrapped, like, you know, that saran yeah, wrap stuff. to his body. To his legs inside of a girdle. Okay. And his rental car had been parked a block from his brother's house. So that was his getaway money. Yeah. That he was taking with him. Well, the car, when they found it, had been rigged with remnants of his Santa suit that would detonate with black powder if removed. At his brother's home, they found... Four handguns that were empty and at least 200 rounds of ammunition. Jesus. A bomb squad had to fire. We've heard this in cases before. They had to fire an incendiary mm-hmm. device to do almost what's a controlled explosion. Right. Or what is a controlled yeah. explosion. Yeah, because you can't just have people going in nope. there to investigate. Nope. So they just knowing. burned and destroyed it. Yep. They Once they saw what they saw, found what they found with it being rigged, they just they yep. destroyed it. Back in his own oh home. His, his brother's home. Yeah. God, could you imagine, you guys, just think about that for a second. His brother's home was just incinerated. 
because of his actions too. I mean, geez. It wasn't his home that was incinerated. It oh, was the it's car. Just the car? Okay. Yeah, it was around the block. The home okay. was not incinerated. His brother found him. Okay. Okay, okay. with the gunshot wounds to the to the head. He house. put okay. it in his mouth. So they, of course, searched his own home, and Bruce had been living in Montrose, California at the time. They recovered five empty boxes, I'm sorry, five empty boxes for semi-automatic handguns, a Benelli M2 tactical shotgun, and a container for high-octane fuel tank gasoline. They also found what they described as a virtual bomb factory in his home. I bet. At the time, one reporter said, this divorce shattered Bruce Pardo. It became his obsession. And Bruce began to plot ways to get back at Sylvia. I think that he decided that he wasn't just going to kill her, but was going to kill everything that she loved and take it, wipe it off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it sounds like. Yep. As the, as the dust settles here, right? So you've had this massacre. Um, and, uh, almost a whole family is gone. Oh, Yeah. They start doing some significant investigation about how in the hell did this happen and why? Well, what they found was that some things had come up in the divorce and even in the marriage between the Pardoses, between uh, Sylvia and Bruce. Um, She had made a discovery and the discovery had caused her enough concern to file for divorce. As this discovery is made, um, Bruce is angry with the person who gave her the information, who happens to be his mom. So, oh. yeah, mom literally during the vo- the divorce, and, and I'll get to that soon, she sits with her, with Sylvia and her family, not her own son during okay. the divorce. Okay. I'm sure you can uh, imagine that some people, you never know what your neighbor is, right? He was a great guy. He was a God-fearing Christian. Uh, he went to church, regular churchgoer, volunteered. He'd pop over. He was the kind of guy who'd be like, hey, how's your dog? Just the kind of neighbor everybody'd want to have. Up until the familiar side thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, up until the fact where he's not safe to be around anybody, right? Yeah. Let's talk about Mr. Pardo's life here. I figured you were going to get to that. We, we're going to. Paul Pardo, he grew up in the San Fernando Valley in the 1970s. He was the son of an engineer, showing a knack for mathematics at an early age. And he graduated from John H. Francis Polytechnic High School in Sun Valley. After graduating from high school, he went to Cal State Northridge to study computer science. He loved being the center of attention. He is described as being quick to a joke. And even if you find this kind of stuff humorous, and I do, at his Cal State graduation, he carried a life-size inflatable doll across the stage. (laughs) Okay. Okay? So he's kind of the the fun party guy everybody's liking. Friends and coworkers, they called him exceptionally bright. um, And he actually ended up getting a job as a software engineer at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in La Canada, Flint Ridge. Okay. He was not the most industrious worker. No? Nope. He liked to have a good time. He was pretty lazy. He liked to do um, whatever he could to try to get around the system. And he was he was nosy. Um, once uh, one of his colleagues stated that he actually hacked into the Jet Propulsion Laboratory computer system to learn what all of his coworkers' salaries were. Okay. So yep. he's going to use his powers for not so good. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, he kind of came and go as he pleased. Kind of the guy that would be like, oh, I'm sick. I can't come in. But then would reappear um, after a fresh snowfall uh, with a goggle tan line. Yeah, yeah, there's one in every office. Some, sometimes you got to go skiing. You just got to. Yeah. Right? 
So in 1988, Paul uh, Pardo is 24 years old and he becomes engaged to one of his JPL co-workers. Because he saw how much she made. Right. (laughs) He's like, I'm going to go through and figure out who makes the most and you're my new boo. Yep. Well, Pardo didn't have much money, which explains why he's looking at what people make. Mm -hmm. He's living with his mom and he... And the girl want to want to get married and have a wedding, and he can't afford it. She dips into her own savings to have her wedding, a country club reception with honeymoon reservations in Tahiti, and mm. they invite 250 guests to nuptials at the San Fernando Mission. Holy shit. Okay. Right? She wants to have her wedding. I don't know 250 people that would want to come to my wedding. Oh, I'm sure you do now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the day of the wedding, which was supposed to be June 17th of 1989, his fiance, um, who I'm not, her name was Delia, by the way, but no last name. And I'm going to leave it at that because sure. I think that's how she wanted it. Uh, his fiance, fiance, Delia, his brother, Brad, and his mom, Nancy Windsor, waited for nearly an hour for Pardo to show up at the wedding. Oh, really? And he never did. Skiing? <laughs> well, the <laughs> next week, um, Del- Delia, the fiance, uh, having been stood up at the altar, learns that he had withdrawn the $3,000 left in their credit union account and taken off. Okay. What they later found was that um, she did see him a few weeks later, tanned and looking good, and he had gone to Palm Springs and blew all the money. Okay. She says that he, Paul, did whatever he felt like he wanted to do, and there was no sense of responsibility. I'd say, among other things. Yeah. That's, I, that's I at a bare believe, minimum what he is. I would have said a lot more, Delia, oh, oh, yeah. about Paul at this oh, point. Oh, yeah. But just to get an idea of the type of person we're talking well, about. sounds like she, that was, see, this is a classic example of how things work out for the better when they seem really shitty. This oh, this could have gone much worse for her. This was a blessing, Delia. Yeah. I'll, whatever you spent on the honeymoon and the country club and your 3000 cash that came yep. out missing from the bank account was money well lost. Yep. That's for sure. So Pardo is living the party life. On the weekends, he is inviting his friends out on his boat on Lake Havasu and just living it up. A gal by the name of Tina Westman, who was 39 at the time of this interview, stated he was a big, goofy, lovable kid. She dated him uh, for a little bit, uh, but then says he might have been too goofy. And one of the reasons that ended their relationship was because he got her to join him on a rafting trip with friends, which, of course, was going to be fun, right? right? Well, she falls overboard. If you've ever been rafting, that happens. Mm-hmm. And she, like, nearly drowns. He laughed. She was terrified. She thought she was dying. She thought she was drowning. And she said he he laughed. And he was so, so intelligent, but just seemed to lack all of this common sense and even common decency. No empathy whatsoever. This, this isn't surprising to me. No. Just drinking and fooking his way through life. He is. Okay. Well, by 2001, at 37 years of age, Pardo seems to, he, he settles down. It's time. Mm. It's time to settle down. He was living in Woodland Hills with his girlfriend, Elena Lusano. He and Lusana, uh, 13 months prior, had given birth, and he had a 13-month-old son, Bruce Matthew. So he's seemingly settled down with Elena and little Bruce. They have their house. Elena goes either to work or to run an errand, um, and tragically, a week after New Year's, Matthew, that's uh, 
his what son. they called him. So yeah. I, I, Bruce Matthew, I, yeah, you figured out that I they did, went by his middle yeah, name. Yes, okay, cool. Yes. So Matthew, he falls into the backyard swimming pool <gasps> while Pardo's watching television in the house. Oh my God, Megan. I know. I'm sorry. When Luciano returns home, she finds Pardo screaming and holding Matthew in his arms. And um, they got him to the hospital and were able to revive him, Charnel. Holy shit. So mom took him from his arms. I, I don't know how long he was holding him helplessly, but right. mom gets him to the hospital. And Pardo, uh, Paul, he, he actually um, hangs out in the hospital for a week. Like he never leaves his son's side. But then uh, doctors determined that Matthew would never fully recover. Mm-hmm. And Lucano, Lucano and Pardo end up splitting up as happens. Yep. So once he found out, and this just is so shitty, Charnel. Once Pardo finds out that Matthew is severely brain damaged and is now going to be at least a paraplegic, they never saw him again. Oh, uh, yeah. That Luzano and Matthew. Me. Now, it wasn't the end of um, them their dealings together, but it was the last time that he went and saw or had anything like to do with He was going to be a father son. to his yeah. son. Okay. So, because of his own yeah. lack of supervision. Well, Nancy, it's important to note too, Nancy, his mom, I mean, she stayed in touch. So, I mean, that that was happening. Mm-hmm. In 2004, Pardo meets Sylvia. So this is our, this is, this is our Sylvia. They actually are introduced by her brother-in-law. I don't know which one it was. Okay. He happened to be one of Pardo's coworkers at JPL. Okay. Uh, that jet propulsion labs. Yep. Sylvia um, was 40, had three children from two previous marriages mm-hmm. and Pardo's friends loved her. They're like, this is just what you need. This down to earth woman who has a large family. Um, like just this, this is good for you, sir. They get married on January 29th of 2006. They buy a three bedroom, $565,000 home in Montrose. Wow. Which probably is actually normal, a normal ranch home I'm in sure. California, right? right? For here, that's like a mansion, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's got you on a lake. Correct. (laughs) It does. They do have to take on our, he takes on a $452,000 mortgage. Mm -hmm. So whatever they're, they, they paid some cash. Right. They bought an Akita, which is an adorable, pretty dog that they named Saki. And he was seeming to live very happily with Sylvia um, and her four-year-old daughter. Pardo was, became uh, very involved in the Holy Redeemer Catholic Church, which was only a few blocks away from their home. And he went to Sunday mass and was a regular usher. For Sunday Mass. At first, um, he was super drawn to Sylvia's warm and welcoming family. So we've talked about Papa Joe and um, Alicia, and this is just a super close, tight-knit family. Yeah. I don't believe he'd ever had this before in large family, right? So everything, yeah. he, he's drawn, uh, fam- his friends and family members are thinking this is a great thing. Well, after they had been married for a year... Sylvia started telling her friends and some of her her family members that he was becoming super cold and distant with her and miserly, like arguing about money and not allowing her to have access to their bank accounts and just really obsessing about everything that was being spent. Honeymoon's over. Exactly. And at this point, Pardo's mother, Nancy, had grown really fond of Sylvia and of her children. In late 2007, she discloses to Sylvia that perhaps part of the reason that he's so miserly and is so distant with her um, is that he um, he's still kind of paying some bills 
because he has a disabled son and she knew nothing oh, about it. Oh shit. I wondered if Sylvia didn't know she didn't anything know. about that. Nancy confides to her daughter-in-law that Pardo had a severely disabled son and he wasn't supporting him, but he was claiming him as a tax deduction. Oh fuck. Yeah. So I mean, this is a guy this that guy is I'm awful. sorry. He he leaves a woman at the altar stealing her money. He, um, although a tragic accident, certainly responds responds terribly inappropriately, mm-hmm. then claims the disabled child as a tax deduction, although not providing for the child. Right. Uh, well, they separate. Yeah, because now she's like, I see you in a whole I'm married different to light. a monster, right? Yeah. They separate March 7th, 2008. She asks him if she can stay in the home with her daughter um, so that she can finish her last few months of kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And Pardo um, moves her all of her belongings onto the driveway while she's at one of her niece's birthday party. Get the fuck out. Mm -hmm. Your stuff's on the front lawn. At this point in time, she's like, okay, I'm filing for divorce. And she does, and she moves in with one of her sisters in Glendale. Well, in April, Pardo hires a San Fernando attorney. His name happens to be Stanley Silver. And um, he tells Silver, the attorney he hires, that he's hoping for a reconciliation. Oh, he does not you moved all her shit into the driveway. I sir. think that was a ploy. He wants her. He wants her back. He he. Yeah. Yeah. So Silver calls Sylvia's attorney then a Scott Nord. And he's like, yeah, no, my client wants her divorce. Right. Her mind is made up. There's no reconciliation yeah. that's going to occur. This guy is horse shit. Yes. On the pavement. Yes. So Pardo's brother, he does indicate that he, he seemed depressed. Um, others uh, thought that he had accepted the breakup, but brother's kind of not buying it. Um, Silver, who was his attorney, says, oh, Pardo, he was never upset. He was always congenial. Yeah, I'm sure in your office. Like, mm-hmm. dude, you don't you don't know nothing. You don't know nothing. You wow. don't know Hold nothing. On. That's a lot of double negatives That was right a lot. There. Yeah, you know nothing about your client and nope. his previous history. You do he not. He is not okay with this. You do not. Interestingly, Pardo's life is tanking. Okay. Yeah, I'd say. <laughs> he had left, he had left JPL. And was working as an engineer for ITT Radar Systems, which is a Van Nuys defense contractor. And he was earning like $122,000 a year. Okay. I don't think that that's a significant amount for that area, by the way. Right. But right. No, a, not when you tell me that their house yeah. was almost $600,000. But yeah. I suppose in comparison, if you're looking at what you purchase for a house, right, he makes a fifth of that. Yeah. yeah. So what they paid for it. But Sylvia, Sylvia makes 31000 a year as an administrative assistant at a flower company. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. So he is the breadwinner. He is in control of all of the finances. Yeah. On June 18th of 2008, so months before the uh, actual yeah. divorce is final, the judge who's handling their case, because you know how divorces work, right? You get mm-hmm. the filing and then some things happen and you have pre-trials and it gets set for a final well, he orders Pardo to pay $1,785 a month in spousal support. Okay. And Pardo's first check bounces. Mm. Then he writes the second check and stops payment on it. Okay. So Sylvia's attorney, not happy. Right. So at this point in time, um, I'm going to introduce you to what is known as premeditation at its finest. And a plan has been launched. This is a Christmas Eve massacre, Sharnel. he does not want to pay... This spousal support. He he doesn't want to pay the spousal support. He doesn't want to get divorced. Mm-hmm. He's angry, in my opinion, with her, but also with his mom. 
mm-hmm. for telling about all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, I didn't put it in there, but let me just go back to that. His, um, his ex there who's raising his disabled son. Yes. They did end up having to sue him, um, his homeowner's insurance just so that they could get this really small amount, like $200,000, which equates to, she got from the policy, like 200 and some dollars a month. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. Her attorney actually said, you need to sue him personally too. And she didn't. Okay. So yeah. she, this, this is a, this is a nice woman, um, who's just trying to raise her disabled son. And she basically gets Which enough to ex- attempt to pay for medical care. Extremely expensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's abandoned them. Mm-hmm. June 13th, Christmas Eve massacre. Mm-hmm. I'm taking you to June 13th. He drove to Burbank. Jesus. He started this planning in June. This is premeditation at its finest. Wow. June 13th, he goes to Burbank. He walks into Gunworld, which is a small shop. Under, Let me guess. Under they sell guns. They do. He pays. Gunworld. We couldn't come up with a better name. $999.95 cash for a Sig Sauer 9mm handgun. Okay. I like a Sig. That's a nice mm-hmm. gun. On July 31st, so we are mm-hmm. a month and a half. Mm-hmm. Had enough time to save up for another one. He gets fired. Oh, okay. I thought we were buying another gun. For billing fraudulent hours. Oh. You were getting there. And applies for unemployment. But when you're fired for cause, you're not actually eligible for unemployment. So his application's denied. August 8th, Pardo goes back to Gunworld. He buys another six-hour nine-millimeter handgun. Unemployed, but we're going to spend money on guns. We are. California law actually limits the sales of concealable firearms to one per customer every 30 days. Okay. So a month later on September 8th, he buys a third from the same store. Then he returned for a fourth on October 11th. Wow. And a fifth on November 13th. Holy shit. How often does someone go every 30 days or so to buy another fucking gun? I mean, if you... If you are a collector of uh, handguns or, or other type of weapons, which is, you're right. I think that if you're limited in that state, maybe there are people who go to, and they're collecting or whatever. We don't have, we don't have something quite so similar to that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to hmm. make this into a, a second amendment case. I'm just saying he took advantage mm-hmm. of what he was allowed to do mm-hmm. and he followed the law. Mm-hmm. 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 He went and bought the fifth one on November 13th. Okay. So as often happens in divorce cases, the divorce attorneys have to exchange uh, legal briefs, right? So you have a brief on the, for the basis. The judge wants to know the basis, if, especially if it's going to continue to a trial and not a settlement. So they exchange their briefs in the fall, and Pardo spends most of his time back home in Montrose, where he lived. Um, he's not working, but basically he just kind of occupies his time. He's hanging out at this bakery. He's chilling by a booth, um, and he watches his dog, um, who apparently he still has at this point. He has Saki, okay. um, who's hanging out on the sidewalk, just, you know, being the cute dog, drinking the water. Mm-hmm. Being a dog. Unconditionally loving his owner, even if he is horseshit. Yes. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care that he has left women at the altar, stolen money from them, refused to uh, support a child, and uh, yeah, has uh, been a complete asshole to his most recent wife. Mm-hmm. On September 8th, he called his neighbor, uh, Jerry Diotti. Jerry owned this place called Jerry's Costumes. Oh. Happened to be his neighbor, and he's like, Jerry, it's September. And Christmas is coming up, and I want to order a Santa Claus outfit for a children's party. Mm-hmm. He 
these are custom made. He drops off the $200 deposit wow. and says, I'll return in November to get the suit. And Jerry's like, you got it, man. Cool. So during August and September, which was just prior to ordering the Santa suit and throughout September, he applies for jobs in the high tech industry. Not many companies are hiring at this point in time. He is having significant financial difficulties. Okay. It, it's a recession right uh -huh. now. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Well, the judge who's hearing their divorce case, he does agree to suspend his support payments, his spousal okay. support at this point in time, because now he's unemployed. There's been a change in circumstances. So he reaches out, um, Pardo does, to an old high school friend, um, Steve Irwin. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Irwin, E-R-W-I-N. Not the Steve Irwin, no. but yeah. This Irwin lives in Iowa with his wife and six children. And he and Pardo, they had not been in touch for several years. But when he hears how upset um, his friend is and that he's just really struggling with this tough time, he invites him to Iowa in October uh, to help him celebrate his own 45th birthday. So Pardo arrives. He decides to go uh, to Iowa. Um, and while he's there, he confides in Irwin about the divorce. And he's like, I've been sitting home and thinking about this. He says, I'm just fucking sick. I'm um, embarrassed that every time I go into court, my personal life is dragged out here publicly. My um, Me getting fired, my finances, um, my disabled son, all this getting dragged out publicly. Um, I'm not even speaking with my mother. He indicates that they're barely speaking. And he acknowledges that she has not only taken Sylvia's side, but he, she has taken a sitting with Sylvia's family at the divorce hearings. Mm. I think mom's had enough of Peter Pan over here. Absolutely. Right. She is setting her boundaries. I am not going to enable you any longer, yep. son. Yep. So while Pardo, Pardo is uh, out with um, his friend, Mr. Irwin here in, in out of state, where did I say it was Iowa? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Iowa. He's enjoying the, the kids. They, he's helping with their algebra, you know, giving them change. Ironic. Um, yeah, just... In enjoying his time with the kids, but he does take the time on his way to town to stop by a gun shop in Iowa. Wow, that's surprising. And he buys 16 handgun magazines, each of which holds 18 bullets, uh, which is eight more than are allowed in magazines sold in California. Okay. Okay. So he returns to California. He picks up his Santa suit from Diat, um, and I don't think it's atypical to order a Santa suit that's maybe a little bit bigger because you want to stuff you know, right. stuff it, right? Yeah, yeah. You got to have the big Santa belly. Well, he had specifically asked that I have extra room because Pardo, if I haven't told you before, is six foot four and 275 pounds. Holy shit. We have a linebacker. He is a big motherfucker. Damn. And he now has a big motherfucking Santa suit. Oh, God. He picks up the suit, pays the $100 remaining on his bill. Don't you think 300 bucks is pretty cheap for a custom, for a custom Santa suit? suit? Yeah. For okay. a gorilla like that? Yeah. For sure. Tips the lady uh, 20 bucks, apparently. This is a huge dude. I can't believe it was only $300. <sighs> yep. So his plan his plan has come together at this point. Um, we've been prepping for this since June. Wow. He had five handguns in a room at home, the DeWalt compressor, the 50-foot hose, and the tank of high-octane fuel in a backyard shed, all prepped up days before Thanksgiving. So a month oh, before God. this, yeah. he sets up his Christmas lights and everything. Like he's, everything's going to be normal. Mm -hmm. A week before Christmas, then I'm going to take you to a week before the massacre uh, at the divorce hearing. It is exactly a week before Christmas as we record this. It is. This is um, literally uh, the, the same time that Pardo would have been sitting with his attorney and Sylvia 
their marriage was officially terminated. The cause, irreconcilable differences. Mm-hmm. Pardo agreed to pay his ex-wife $10,000. And let me just clarify that when we say Pardo agreed, it's part of the settlement. Yes. He didn't like it. No. So what had happened was the judge had ordered that Pardo get to keep the home. Mm-hmm. But he was going to have to pay her $10,000 to get to keep the home. Right. This right. is how this works yes, usually. It, it or they tell is. you... Guess you're selling the home. Right. And right? then you split whatever proceeds equity, equity at, is in it. After you've paid your mortgage. Exactly. Yep. She gets to keep the diamond engagement ring, which she was not happy about. And she got to keep the dog, Saki. Oh. I saw some podcasts where they're like, and she got the kids. I'm like, well, they were her kids. They so were, yep. I guess I was confused as to why that even would have been in consideration because I think right. people were confused. But Pardo and her did not have children together. Yep. He only has the one um, paraplegic so uh, brain uh, damaged child. Yes. So, of course, she gets to keep her children. Correct. Yep. But the fur child yes, went to that, her. That's the sore spot, I think, for him. You know, I, I am glad that you point this out because, you know, when they specifically note things like Joe spent some of his time hanging in cafes with his trusty d- dog, his BFF, uh-huh. who he's just watching play on the sidewalk, and then you go into court and they say... Saki gets to go live with mommy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it went over well. That, nope, nope, nope. That's a trigger right there. So the next day, which is the Friday before Christmas, as it's coming up, he goes into a travel agency and buys a plane ticket to visit his friend Irwin's family. Like he's oh. going to go and visit his friend again. Um, okay. He's, like he did he's before. getting out of town. I wondered who he knew that he, okay. Yep. So that was where the ticket was too. So he returns to the travel agency then on Monday, just a few days before Christmas, pays $650 cash for the round trip ticket to Moline, Illinois, um, the closest airport to Irwin's home. Okay. So even though he lives here uh, yeah. or lived in Iowa, that was the closest airport to the home. That makes sense. Okay. He was supposed to be departing. At, it does. And I think it's good that we clarified because you're like, who's in Moline, Illinois? We've only heard about the friend in Iowa. Right. No, no. It's That's because it was the airport. I- yep. Yes. Kind of like people might fly into Toledo or something or even mm-hmm. Chicago to come see us if they oh, didn't yeah. want to fly into Detroit. I've had people fly into Cleveland, Ohio. Absolutely. To to yep. Absolutely. So... He was supposed to depart. His plane ticket said he was going to depart at 12.20 a.m. on Christmas Day and return two weeks later. So he it was a round-trip ticket. He even called Irwin, obviously, to say, buddy, I'm coming to visit, and this is when I'm going to be there. So that week before Christmas, he does a few things that are odd. He rents a Dodge Caliber from Budget Rent-A-Car and then a silver Toyota RAV4 from a place called Rent-A-Rack, which I love. Oh, he packs the Toyota RAV4 with maps of the southwestern United States and Mexico, water, food, clothing, a can of gasoline, a laptop, and a desktop computer. This is just in case he needs to get away and not get on that airplane. I think the airplane was just to throw investigators off, like you said in the beginning, that, that he was never going to go visit his friend. That was his getaway vehicle, do you think? Well, check this out. See if this helps you at all. I think this is the part of the plan that didn't happen. Yeah, most definitely, because he didn't anticipate getting burnt. Well, on Christmas Eve, before he goes to um, commit the massacre, he drives the Toyota RAV4 that's all packed to Glendale. Okay. And he parks it near the home of Scott Nord, his ex-wife's attorney. Oh, shit. It is theorized that he planned to drive the Dodge to Nord's house after the Covina killings. And ignite Attack it. and kill 
the attorney Nord uh-huh. and then make his escape With in the that Toyota RAV4. Yes, that's what they think the yeah. plan probably actually was. Okay. Well, Shit, he wanted to take out everyone who had anything to do with this divorce. I only saw it once, but there was some speculation that he may have also intended to take out his mother. Mm, mm-hmm. But none of the prep, none of the evidence that I've seen indicates that. Okay. But this uh, this one with Nord, his uh, ex-wife's attorney, Sylvia's attorney, it was parked around the corner, the RAV4 was. Yeah. At 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve before the massacre, he calls Irwin... Uh, his friend in Iowa and his wife, Michelle, and they said he sounded down, but he said he'd see them the next day. I don't, I Mm-mm. don't think he was going to see him the next day to you. Mm-mm. Like, I don't think he even planned on it. Mm-mm. No, he was going to take that RAV4. They, uh, investigators, of course, aren't sure that he really intended to go to Iowa. They agree with what you just said, Charnel, that it, it was either to throw them off of his trail or it was potentially a backup plan. Mm-hmm. Sometime this evening, he's sounding down. He's not sounding right to his friends. Uh, he uses cocaine, and we know this because oh, his a trace amount was found in his body. So he yeah. gets himself all hopped up on the cocaine. Yeah, you got to get that that uh, sugar courage. Sugar courage. God, I kind of want a shirt that says that, too. <sighs> it doesn't seem appropriate. <laughs> I love this guy's name, so I won't laugh too hard. But later that night, so Pardo, Pardo's next-door neighbor, his name is Bong. Bong Garcia. Bong! Garcia. Bong Garcia. I love it. Hi, Bong. Oh. He steps on his porch to have a cigarette with his nephew. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it was just a regular Marlboro. It just had tobacco in it, <laughs> right. everybody. Well, Pardo walks by, greets them, says, I'm going to a Christmas party. Didn't seem like he was mad or anything. He's uh, in a Santa says. suit at this point, right? Yeah. No, um, I don't think that he was in the Santa suit at that point. Oh. I think he took it with him. I oh. believe that this change happened. Okay. No. I saw that, but that's got to be wrong, Charnel, because if he had all of this shit, sh- uh, you know. Yeah, underneath, underneath his, his Santa suit. I suppose he could have stopped and changed. It, it does not say what he was wearing when he left, but they did notice something odd. Bong. <laughs> Bong notices he that his neighbor left. He had two really nice cars. His black Cadillac Escalade and his white Hummer in the driveway, and he got into this blue Dodge parked on the street. Why does he have no money in such nice cars? Does he also sell the cocaine? I don't know. I don't <laughs> think so. I mean, that would definitely be a way for him to make money and not have to pay spousal support with a right. non-reportable income. I, I'm just, out of all of this, of this case, I'm like, he can't afford those vehicles. I think <laughs> you're right. And my guess is that he couldn't afford anything and is probably in debt up to his neck. Yeah, yeah. So, but the neighbor even notices, well, that's weird. Oh, for He's sure. off to a Christmas party taking a blue Dodge I that he doesn't own. if maybe he was in his Santa suit already, and that's why he was explaining, like, I'm going to a Christmas party. Oh, yeah, that I would make know. sense, right. right? Around 10, Pardo's 10 p.m., Pardo's younger brother, Brad, whose house he ends up at, by the way, he pulls up to Pardo's house, to the Montrose house. Oh. And they had arranged to go to a friend's holiday party. He was oh. being honest when he told the neighbor that, but Pardo was at home. So he's like, all right, well, my my brother's not here, right? right? Exactly. And you know what? I bet he did think that. This is a man that leaves his uh, fiance at the altar. Brad was there. Right, exactly. His brother and his mom were there. This is just par for the guy. That's Pardo. Mm -hmm. Par for Pardo. Par for Pardo. Later, he's a no-show at the Holy Redeemer Catholic Church where he was a member and where he had signed up to be an usher. He remember he was uh, a consistent usher. He was supposed you know to be an what? usher for midnight mass. You are a dick because yes, the, it's hard to find volunteers. And you told them you'd be there. Exactly. So interestingly, 
It's at 10 when his brother gets there to pick him up. 1127 is when the first call from the Covina massacres uh, called in. The first 911 call. And, of course, he didn't show up midnight then. Um, just 32 minutes, 33 minutes later to... Uh, yeah, mass. To, to mass. Yes. Yeah, you know, that's a lot of unaccounted for time. I, You may be right. It, he could have spent that time strapping all the money to himself and putting on his costume and just basically enjoying his cocaine high. Trying to figure out his plan himself too, right? to do this. He's yes, got two exactly. options now. He does. Mm-hmm. He can take a, a, a jet plane or he can uh, get in his car and drive to Mexico. Or an option of not killing anybody and just going to visit his friends. We know that that mm-hmm. option was never one. I mean, he's been planning this since June. Since June. Yeah. So jumping ahead then to where uh, I started the story. When firefighters arrived and the house is engulfed in flames after Pardo has sprayed the racing fuel, uh, intending to ignite it with a flare, by the way. Um, but then, of course, he didn't take into account those two fireplaces. They triggered the explosion. Mm-hmm. So killed along with Sylvia, of course, I, I indicated were her uh, parents, two brothers, their wives, her sister, and her 17-year-old nephew. I'm going to read these to you specifically again in just a minute because mm-hmm. we don't like to do our victims justice. The eight-year-old niece that was shot in the face survived. 13 young people were orphaned that Christmas Eve. Oh, my 13. God. That is, As the house burns, Charnel, a neighbor saw the blue car drive away from the scene with its headlights off. Mm. And they later found like right out of a movie, a pair of fake glasses and a Santa cap dropped in the front yard. Oh my God. That is like a movie. He drove the 40 miles to his brother's home, has the second degree and third degree burns on his arms, hands, back of his neck. He also had leg burns and his Santa suit had melted into his skin this is when they believe that he realized a clean getaway was no longer an option. Right. 3.10 a.m. is when Brad's brother returns to his own home. From his Christmas party that he went Not to. Not the home in Montrose, his own freaking home. Right, right. And this is where he finds his brother's body sprawled on the living room couch, two handguns by his side, Ugh. having shot himself in his mouth. And he noted before he called 911, he was still wearing his wedding ring. Mm. I feel really bad for Brad in this situation, too. He's also a victim. I think most people do, and I want to point out, I think that's why there was so much explained about how him and his mom, Nancy, that, that were left at the altar, too, basically. Yeah. Like, this is just their life with yes, this, this selfish exactly. man. I'm going to talk to you about our victims. Um, And again, super close, uh, tight-knit family. You know, mom and dad had come here, uh, Alicia and Joseph from from Mexico, and just live in the American dream. And it's just so tragic. Culturally, this makes sense to me. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. So first they list, there were nine people that were unaccounted for after the Christmas Eve incident. And of course, these are the nine people that died then. Uh, Sylvia Pardo, Pardo's ex-wife, who was 43. Alicia Ortega, her mother, who was 70. Joseph Ortega, her father, who was 80. Sylvia's brother, Charles Ortega, 50, and his wife, her sister-in-law, Sherry Ortega, who was 45. Sylvia's other brother, James Jr. Ortega, who was 52. And James's wife, Teresa Ortega, who was 51. Alicia Ortiz, who was 46, was Sylvia Pardo's sister. And then Sylvia Pardo's nephew, who was Alicia's son, Michael Ortiz, was mm. the 17-year-old, the youngest one to die. He was the one that they believe died in the explosion upstairs. 
12 years after the massacre, there was a um, interview that was done uh, and they, they spoke with Letitia um, and Katrina Yusupolsky, her daughter. Letitia said that, uh, of course, Katrina had had some surgery to repair her cheek. She had to. She was shot in the face. Of course. They've done everything they can to work to maintain the family's traditions and happy memories. Um, the remaining family, they still meet for dinner every Christmas. They exchange gifts. And they share memories that they have of the family they lost. Instead of attending church, though, on Christmas Eve, they go visit the cemetery where their family is all buried. Oh, my God. One of the nephews who had lost both his parents in the massacre, uh, he actually became the guardian of his three younger siblings who were orphaned. Yep. And Letitia and her husband uh, took in um, her sister's youngest daughter. Okay. So she's got her daughter, Katrina, and then Mm -hmm. they took in her sister's, Alicia's, um, not Alicia. She's O'Pete's, Sylvia's youngest daughter. Mm-hmm. She said that she's worked to save Christmas for the surviving children by telling them that that was not the real Santa. And the kids actually were sent. I love this, Charnel. They were sent to a grief camp, to a camp that deals with grief and trauma. Oh, good. She is quoted in the Los Angeles Daily News as say, stating, Letitia is, everywhere you turn, there are memories of what we used to have and then memories of that night. You can't escape it, Letitia says. Christmas will always be there, or we continue to celebrate it. Although the active investigation wrapped up almost 10 years ago, the detectives who assisted in the investigation, Charnel, continue to keep in touch with the surviving family, especially around Christmas every year. Oh, that's amazing. You know, this was painful for them, too. uh, It was. To to come up on this. So this is the biggest massacre, at at least at this point in time, in, in that area of California, um, this is a, a suburban area, a lovely little uh, area where this shit just doesn't, doesn't happen. happen. I mean, there's crime, but not not a massacre, a whole family. And can we recognize that more than likely the first responders and the officers that are on duty on Christmas Eve are the low guys on the totem pole. You got it. They don't have the seniority to be able to take that time off with their families and this is what they have to see. I love that you with. pointed that out. And the, and eighty on Christmas Eve night, eighty firefighters respond to try to put out yep. this. This. Do you know how many of those were probably volunteer as well? Oh, sure. That's a huge amount. Getting of called people. out of your home on Christmas Eve yep. and then having to deal with another a family's biggest tragedy. Yes. Like not not getting over this. Yep. So I am sorry that that was your Christmas story from me. Wow. I uh, just cannot, you're like the heat miser right now. I don't even know. Oh my gosh, that's right. (laughs) Tell me, is it the Miser Brothers? Yeah. And the heat miser, what's the name of that? Um, Which Christmas movie is that? That's not the year that Santa forgot. Yes, 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 I believe so. Yeah. All right. The well, year, yes. Would you, Way to go. Would Scrooge. You like, no. <laughs> right. Miser Megan. Would Miser you like Megan. a brain bath? Well, I need more than a brain bath. I want a hot tub followed by a swimming pool, a, possibly a waterfall in Tahiti, something. Okay. I want all the waters. Cleanse me. Holy water, something. I'm going to do something for you right now. I would like to tell you the story of, a, you know, let me just back up. <laughs> But I gotta, I gotta put, do this. Put your signal on. Beep. Okay. Beep. Beep. We're backing up. Men sometimes like to do things for their wives or significant others, girlfriends, that they think will help keep them safe. This is something that you might want, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when you think of an anniversary gift that you would like to come from your husband, what what type of things might you think of? 
that's going to keep me safe or just in general? Just in general. You know they Their heads go to safety sometimes and I don't. But us, no, I would lo- I would be happy with flowers, a night out. Take me out to dinner. If, if you're feeling fancy, maybe like a nice little necklace or bracelet. Not Nothing too expensive, but just to say, I love you. Wear me around your neck and rem- remember. Okay. Me. What if, how about a pocket taser stun gun? That is, is it on your not list? on my list. I First mean, of all, he, the man has seen me walk. He knows <laughs> I'm not capable of carrying a taser safely. Right. Well, here's where we are. Pocket taser stun gun, a great gift for the wife, was submitted by a guy who purchased his lovely wife a pocket taser for their anniversary. This is from Doodle Oogles. It's a Tumblr. Doodle Oogles. You made fun of my newser.com. I I'm going to make fun of Doodle Oogles. Doodle Oogles. Also, Say I kind of want. Times fast. I kind of wanted as a nickname. Doodle you got Oogle. it. You got it, girl. Doodle Oogle. Doodle Oogle. I love it. And Gumbo Yaya. <laughs> You're Gumbo Yaya. I'm Doodle Oogle. I like it. <laughs> this, the next episode. <laughs> Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Doodle Oogle, and I'm Gumbo Yaya. It's gonna happen. <laughs> Perfect. All right. He says. Last weekend. Oh, by the way, his name is omitted to protect him. <laughs> Last weekend, I saw something at Larry's Pistol and Pawn Shop that sparked my interest. The occasion was our 22nd anniversary, and I was looking for a little something extra for my wife, Tony. What I came across was a 100,000 volt pocket purse size taser. I'm sorry, did you say 100,000 volt? I did. Motherfuck. Now, this pocket purse size taser, the effects of the taser were supposed to be short-lived, with no adverse effect on your assailant, allowing her adequate time to retreat to safety. No, that is sending someone into the fifth dimension. Way too cool, right? Yeah. He's like, this is perfect. So long story short, I bought the device and brought it home. Mm-hmm. I loaded two AAA batteries into the darn thing and pushed the button. Nothing. I was disappointed. I learned, however, that if I pushed the button and pressed it against the metal surface at the same time, I'd get this blue arc of electricity darting back and forth between the prongs. Awesome. Yeah, it's like Thor's shaft. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That's a different story. (laughs) Unfortunately, I have yet to explain to Tony what the burn spot is on the face of a microwave. (laughs) Men. Okay, so I was home alone with this new toy, thinking to myself that it couldn't be all that bad with only two AAA batteries, right? Well, first of all, sir. Women could tell you that many things take two AAA batteries and they are nothing to fuck with. They or have are power. They? <laughs> they have power. Or are they? So here he sits in his recliner with his cat, Gracie, looking on. Trusting little soul, he says. While I was reading the directions and thinking, I need to try this thing out on a flesh and moving target. Gracie, run. I must admit, I thought about zapping Gracie for a fraction of a second <laughs> and thought better of it. She's such a sweet cat. Thank you. Thank God. Good thing she's not a dick like most cats. (laughs) But mine is. But if I was going to give this thing to my wife to protect herself against a mugger, I did want some assurance that it would work as advertised. Am I wrong? So there I sat in a pair of shorts and a tank top with my reading glasses perched delicately on the bridge of my nose. Directions in one hand, taser in the other. I can picture this perfectly. The reading glasses, his spectacles at the end of his nose. I'm picturing our friend Jason right now. Me too! The direction said that a one second burst would shock and disorient your assailant. 
a two-second burst was supposed to cause muscle spasms and a major loss of bodily control. Oh, God. And a three-second burst would purportedly make your assailant flop on the ground like a fish out of water. That's where you get to the fifth dimension. Mm-hmm. Any burst... Well, it is with the battery-operated devices that we are aware of as well. <laughs> yes. Any burst longer than three seconds would be wasting the batteries. <laughs> All the while, I'm looking at this little device measuring about five inches long, less than three quarters of an inch in circumference, pretty cute really, and loaded with two itsy bitsy AAA batteries, thinking to myself, no possible way. Oh, honey, the fist of fury. What happened next is almost beyond description, but I'll do my best. Oh, God, did he shit himself in that chair. I'm sitting there alone, Gracie looking on with her head cocked to the side as if to say, don't do it, master. Reasoning that a one-second burst from such a tiny little old thing couldn't hurt all that bad. Mm. I decided to give myself a one-second burst just for the hell of it. I touched the prongs to my naked thigh, pushed the button, and holy motherfucker, weapon of mass destruction. I'm pretty sure Jesse Ventura, run in, Jesse Ventura ran in through the side door, picked me up in the recliner, then body slammed us both on the carpet over and over and over again. <laughs> I vaguely recall waking up on my side in the fetal position, with tears in my eyes, body soaking wet, both nipples on fire. <laughs> testicles nowhere to be found with my left arm tucked under my body in the oddest position and tingling in my legs and gracie laughing the cat was standing over me making meowing sounds i'd never heard before licking my face undoubtedly thinking to herself do it again do it again (laughs) human human wake up you dumbass note if you ever feel compelled to mug yourself with a taser (laughs) one note of caution there is no such thing as a one second burst when you zap yourself. No. You, you will can't not pull let it go. Away. You will not let go of that thing until it is dislodged from your hand by your own violent thrashing on the floor. A three second burst would have been considered conservative. Conservative. Son of a that hurt like hell. A minute or so later. I can't be sure at this time because time became relative at this point. I'm telling you, he was in a different dimension. I collected my wits, what little I had left, sat up and surveyed the landscape. Where my, are my nuts? My bent reading glasses were on the mantle of the fireplace. Oh my God. How did they get there? My triceps, right thigh, and both nipples were still twitching. My <laughs> face felt like it had been shot up with Novocaine and my bottom lip weighed 88 pounds. <laughs> I am still looking for my testicles. <laughs> I am offering a significant ward for their reward for their safe return. And he quotes, life's hard. It's even harder when you're stupid. Yes. Yes, it is. There you go. You can have the trophy. Yeah. That, really? You, you get the trophy. Oh, thank mm-hmm. God. And it's doesn't, it didn't scar anyone for life except this guy. That man <laughs> definitely <laughs> scarred that man. He will never be the same. He still hears ringing in his ears, I'm sure, and possibly yeah. voices in his head. And I think every time he gets near a bug zapper, his testicles crawl inside right. of his body. They jump right back up there as if he was a 10-year-old boy again. But he succeeded in his mission. This is definitely a safe device for him to give his wife for the sure anniversary. Is. Just make sure she doesn't use it against him when he gets lippy. I'm betting he's a lot In the nicer. future, sir, if you're going to choose a AAA battery device for your wife, maybe 
Don't go with the taser. The, the Fist of Fury would be a better option than what you just I don't even want to know what that is. But I don't okay. know. I've never actually seen okay, one. Good. I just hear about it. Good. I don't think that we should look that up. I no. think our phones are traumatized enough. I don't recommend that you do that. But it's I hear a real thing. I have no idea. It's just a joke amongst friends and I. All right, okay. y'all. So this is the time that we're going to tell you that you need to look us up on social media. Yep. And should probably consider as a Christmas gift to yourself and others joining Patreon. And can you tell them how to do that? Yes. Go to patreon.com forward slash crime curious. There are literally hundreds of exclusive content episodes for you to listen to. Um, And you're going to want to be a Patreon very soon because very soon we're making some changes where our Patreons are going to get loads of the content. So um, we've got us, we got to support the people that are keeping us on air, you guys. So uh, definitely do that if you are able too. Otherwise, well, and keep we're listening because that supports us too. For sure. And we're going to take a, at least a small break, right, in between Christmas and New Year's where yes. there may not be some things released. So Patreon, now is a good time to uh, sign up for that because you literally would have weeks worth mm-hmm. of Patreon to of binge. content mm-hmm. to binge while, yep. while we're taking a very, sh- very short Christmas we're break. We're just going to take a, the week off between just a Christmas week. and New Year's because yep. we're going to spend time with our families and focus on that. And then, uh, you know, hit the ground running in the new year. So we're not going anywhere. We have loads of cases you guys have suggested. If we haven't covered your case yet, do not worry. We will. We will. We'll get to it. And we're doing so much research. Yep. Feel free to send us uh, case suggestions. That's the other thing. We don't have a, a team oh. of people behind us we are doing our own research we do all our own stunts we do we sure do we do all our own stunts i do bend over and kiss my own ass several times (laughs) i've seen her do it she's getting very flexible and by the way the squats are working thank you i have been squatting yes all right mostly so when i go to the bathroom in public restrooms you can hover yep i don't have to worry about the leg shaking i've got thighs of steel Mm -hmm. man i can do that gotta hover but all right you guys uh keep it curious yes megan coming with her new her line we gave her that job now and um you already said follow us on social media. Follow us on social See, you're media. you're like screwing me up because I don't Keep even it know. curious. And until next time, bye-bye. bye-bye.